All right, power and authority. So we mentioned these terms last week, but we really didn't fully define what they mean. And today we're going to see them illustrated in a supernatural way in the works of the Messiah. So authority describes the overarching divinity of Christ. There is no one higher than Christ. There is no one with more authority than he has. And this authority has less to do with what he taught, although that is part of it, but it's more to do with who he is. The things that Christ says come with authority because Christ is God. Everything that God says is authoritative. There's no higher authority. But his power is shown through his actions. And his power is shown in our scripture today as he triumphs over demons as well as sickness. And we see his authority confirmed by his powerful and divine working. So some may claim authority, but it is only by seeing power manifested that shows and confirms that authority is really present. Like, let's consider law enforcement. Law enforcement has authority given to them by the government right? Uh, but if law enforcement didn't have the power of their technology, of their weapons, of what they had, their authority would not come with power. So a true authority is shown by that, that power and backing. In a similar way, my, my preaching only carries authority when it's the actual Word of God, when we're actually talking about the Word of God. Uh, so many uh, preach the traditions and ideas of man instead of the Word of God, and that has no real power or authority to change hearts or to change lives. It's only the power of the all-sufficient and inerrant Word of God that can change our lives, because the Word of God comes with all authority and power. Jesus is called the Word in John 1 when we look at that. So let's just jump in, and, and we're going to be in Luke four thirty-one through 44, finishing out chapter 4 here. It's taken us uh, 13 weeks, and we're through the first four chapters. We've still got a, a ways to go, but it has been exciting to see the ride we've had already. So go ahead and join me as we read God's Word. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of, out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, uh, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of, uh, out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. 
Lord God, thank you for just the time of worship we've had this morning and being able to lift up your name and exalt you. God, I pray that you, you give us all peace, this surpasses all understanding. Lord, uh, I know we all come in with a lot of things that have gone on over the past few weeks. We all have stresses in our lives. We all have things that we're worried about, things we're concerned about. Lord, help us to lay them all at the foot of your cross. And God, at this, at this very moment, open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word and to learn from it. And may you ultimately be glorified through our service today. May you speak through me. May it not be my words, but your words, Lord, because that is where all power and authority comes from, and that is from you and your word. God, we love you, praise you, and thank you. And amen. So today we're going to see three domains in which Christ shows his power and authority. And the first is Jesus has power and authority over demons. Jesus has power and authority over demons. I'm going to reread the first couple of verses, 31 and 32. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see a map of Galilee. Uh, we see Jesus was in Nazareth. Now, now we're seeing C- uh, Capernaum. If you look straight, it's kind of just exactly like uh, northeast, if we're looking up that way. And, uh, and we see, as was his custom, we, we saw that back in 416, that Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath in a synagogue. He would go to synagogue to synagogue in the land of Galilee, or we're looking at here, and he would preach the gospel, preach the coming of the kingdom of God. And as we mentioned last week, too, people were astonished by his teaching because it was different than what they'd heard. We actually see this in Mark 122 parallel, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So they're used to these religious leaders that come with these traditions of man, all these laws that they've added to the Bible. They're not actually teaching what the Bible says or, te- or what the Word of God says, the Pentateuch, as they had, and the, and the, the prophets. Uh, and and th- they're just teaching ideas that they have. And these ideas have no power and authority. And Jesus is teaching the very words of God, God made flesh. And people notice that there's just a difference with the authority that he commands when comparing them to the scribes. I realize today that our world does not understand or believe that there is no higher authority than the Word of God, that, that there is no higher authority than God Himself. But my friends, the authority of God through His Word has no match on earth for authority. No matter how powerful someone on earth seems to be, no matter how wealthy or affluent, or no matter how powerful they've gotten up in governments, they have no match for the authority of the Word of God and God himself, and they will one day give an account to this right here. They, they will stand in front of God, and they will give an account to the word of God that they have so neglected, thinking that they have power over. You know, men like President Z, who, who continues to persecute Christians, will one day be weighed by how he, rea- how he responded to the word of God, obviously in a negative way. We do pray that he gets saved and we see China completely reverse course. That would be wonderful. Pray that revival breaks out there. That would be amazing. But we see that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Look at Revelation nineteen sixteen. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No matter how powerful any leader looks like on earth, there is a king above all kings and a lord above all lords. Praise God for that. Jesus has all authority, and we'll see that played out even more in these next verses. So let's look at 33 and 34 again. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
So in this place of designated for the worship of Yahweh, obviously it wasn't the temple. We talked about how synagogues weren't a place where they offered sacrifices, but they would gather together, read the word of God, the Shema, different scriptures, and they would have uh, someone kind of give a, a sermon of some sort. And here a demon-possessed man shows up to their service. You know, can you imagine we're, we're here worshiping God and a demon-possessed man comes into our service? And for some of you, you're like, oh, no, Satan and his demons can't show up at church. They can't, they can't show up at church. That's not, that's not okay. Well, I, I have to break this to you. Uh, Satan and his demons are showing up at a lot of churches across America, and sadly, it's not just sitting in pews or seats in the church. A lot of times, those demons and maybe even Satan himself are, are in the pulpit preaching a false gospel, and, and Satan has entered the church. Now, praise God, demonic forces have no power over us personally. We cannot be indwelt by a demon. The Holy Spirit does not share the seat with a demon or Satan, so we are in Christ. We're a new creation. We don't have to fear being possessed by a demon. Praise God for that. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and you think the Holy Spirit's going to be tied up by a demon? We see right here, Jesus says he walks on earth. This demon is terrified, we're going to see, that he thinks he's going to get thrown into the abyss, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus Christ is way more powerful than any demonic forces. We need not fear, but we should be aware that these forces of evil are even in our churches across America. Sometimes we see what seems like religious movements when they're really not. Sometimes we see demonic movements that, that try to say, well, it's unhitched from the Bible, from the, it's offensive, so this, we're going to say Jesus only, as we've talked about before, and those are nothing, nothing less than demonic false gospels, that the Word of God is not really that important. Let's just all worship Jesus and get along. Let's all be unified. No, the Word of God is inerrant. Anything that, that says the Word of God doesn't matter is demonic in nature. It's, it's sinful. But in the midst of this terrifying situation, we have to realize that there is something amazing about what this demon articulates, something that a lot of people can't even articulate. And a lot of people at this point who are following Jesus don't understand fully. And he says, what is this? I know that you are what? The Holy One of God. How amazing is this that this demon recognizes and professes, we even see later in verse 41, you are the Son of God, like it really just claims it. And it's amazing that a demon is trying to give a testimony to Christ. How, how uh, in, in a bad way, and obviously Jesus doesn't want his testimony coming from demonic forces. That's not who he wants, and he doesn't want this broadcast. He hasn't completely, fully revealed all of that. He's hinted to it, but he doesn't want that coming from them. And so we see this demon who is completely terrified of him. Obviously, the people are terrified that the, the demon-possessed man comes into the synagogue. People are terrified, like, whoa, this, this, you know, some of them maybe knew this dude. This guy was just known for just bringing, a, bringing about a bad spirit in the area. You know, bad things happened when this guy was around. So they're fearful to now all of a sudden saying, are you going to destroy us? There's only one demon in this. He's saying us as far as demons in general. He's saying, has the kingdom of God, I know we, we kind of see this. Is it, is it game time? Is this where we get judged? This shows demons know what's coming. How amazing is that? Have you come to do that? And so he's like, are you going to completely destroy all evil, cast us all into the lake of fire, as we see in Revelation, along with Satan and all the demons, all the evil people, everybody's going to hell? Or he's even thinking, hey, are you going to throw me into the abyss? The abyss was a holding place for the worst of worst of demons. Uh, we see this mentioned in uh, Luke eight thirty through 31. We see it also in a few other scriptures that are in your handout. 
Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. We see in Revelation, uh, Apollyon, is, or, or also named Abaddon, is released from the abyss during the tribulation. So we know that there, are, there is place with even more demons that are being held before they are finally either allowed to come out for a time and then cast into the lake of fire at the end. But how, how amazing is it that this demon recognizes and proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God? Isn't that remarkable? There's tons of people who are following, or at least a decent bit of people who are following Jesus right now that don't fully understand that. They don't fully understand that he is God made flesh, that he carries all power and authority, that even the demons must flee at his name. And this is really important that we need to realize something about salvation. So listen to James in James 2.19. We've mentioned this before. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We just saw that right here. God is one. He has recognized that he is the Holy One of God. He's recognized that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. This demon understands the Trinity. There is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He understands that, that Jesus is God, that Jesus carries power and authority as God made flesh. Even the demons believe and shudder. So a true saving faith does not just believe all the right facts. This demon understood salvation. This demon understood what it was like to, he knew who Jesus was. He, under, he, he understood all these things, but there was something he was missing. There was something that all demons are missing and all unbelievers are missing. And that's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That is not my will, but your will be done. These demons, a third of the angels, as we see in the scriptures, along with Satan, that fell from heaven, fell from heaven because they refused to submit to Christ. It wasn't they had a believing problem. They knew that God was God. They knew they were created beings by God. They knew that God reigned, that God was powerful, that he had the power to, to create the world. They watched it happen. They understood all of that, but yet, obviously, they're not saved. No one would say that demon is saved, right? These demons are destined for the lake of fire is where they're going to go because they have refused to repent of their evil ways, just like people on earth. And we have so many people that are even on our churches that believe the right things. Oh, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Again, I don't negate these things. This is, these are the building blocks for salvation. If you want to be saved, you need to know this, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that he did live a sinless life, that he did die on the cross, that he rose three days later, that he's now at the right hand of the Father. All of that is foundational to salvation. But sadly, we've had a ton of well-meaning pastors in our churches stop there. Believe all of that, and you'll be saved. That's a lie. It's a lie. Because the demons believe everything I just said. They don't only believe it, they know it. They watched Jesus hang on the cross. They watched him say, it is finished. They watched him, the, the, they watched the tomb open. They watched him ascend into heaven 40 days later. They've seen all of it. They, they know that Jesus is God. They don't even just believe. You know, we believe. They know, we know, in our, in our, you know deep in here we know. We've been, it's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, those who are saved. But they know it by, by experience. They saw it. They saw it happen, but yet they refuse to submit to God. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that if anyone here knows all the right things, but they haven't submitted to Christ, they haven't repented of their sins, that means turning away from them and putting their trust fully in Him, that we do so today. That we don't just know all of the right things and end up 
eternity in hell because we've known the right things, but we haven't repented and believed in him and followed him and said, not my will, your will be done. That's part of being born again, and it's a work of God in us when we humble ourselves before him and recognize our need for a Savior. You can know a lot of things. We, I was talking to my, my upward kids, coaching them, and we were talking about wisdom and knowledge and the difference between the two, and there's a lot of very smart people out there that have no wisdom. They're foolish as can be, but they've got all this head knowledge, and this is, this is a person, this, it's very similar with a person who knows all the right stuff but doesn't repent and follow Christ. You can have all this head knowledge, but you can still be just as foolish as anyone else. It doesn't make you any more holy to know all the right stuff. We need to be wise, we need to be humble, and we need to repent. We must personally know the truth, the one who is the truth. We must repent of our sins. Moving forward, we get to verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. So Jesus rebukes this demon and casts him out. How amazing is that? We see other, other places where they try to say, well, Jesus is, is demonic himself. And Jesus is like, well, you've got to be stronger than somebody to tie them up and throw them out. Jesus doesn't even lift a finger. He just says it because he has such power and authority. This demon goes. And this demon, in a nice little show, throws the guy down on the ground. Obviously, it was you know, somewhat of a show there. And then finally re- is released. But the amazing thing is Jesus also supernaturally kept this guy from getting hurt. I mean, you get thrown down that hard by a demon, you probably should have some broken bones. You have have something going on. And the man is left without harm, the amazing power and authority of Christ. And obviously the the, the crowd notices as well in 36 and 37. And they all were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So these people have been amazed at the power and authority of Christ. His power has been demonstrated through his works. All of these works were to solidify and show that he is the Messiah. And for quite some time, these people had lived in fear of a demon-possessed man, maybe others as well. But they found a Savior who's, who the forces of evil were no match for. So Jesus has power and authority over demons. He also, number two, has power and authority over debility. Over debility. I'm going to read Verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So the word debility, if you don't use this word, it's more of a medical word. We use it for weak, feeble, and sick. Uh, like, that, like that's kind of what, what we use it uh, for. And Christ is about to show his power and authority over illness and debility in this account. So there's this amazing interchange with this, this demon, how he cast this demon out. Uh, so we've seen this, this great thing. Now we're going to see... Jesus go to Simon Peter's house. This is the disciple, the house of his mother-in-law, actually. And his mother-in-law was very ill, and Luke even adds the word high fever here to let us know this was probably a life-threatening illness. So the, everyone there, I mean, they're, they're appealing on her behalf for, for Jesus to come and heal her. So this is a, a pretty big deal that we're seeing here. And obviously the they that are appealing, you know, her family, Simon Peter himself probably, and other friends. And so what does Jesus do in this intense situation? You know, puts the test. He's just cast out this demon. Now it's like, well, what are you going to do about this? this? Is your disciple, and it's his mother-in-law. What are you, what are you going to do here? Well, he s- does what Jesus does. Luke four thirty-nine, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it what? It left her. He didn't say, no, I'm not going. No, Jesus' power and authority is his power and authority. There is no, 
refusal of illness. There's no refusal of demons. It is complete. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Jesus' healing noticed that it was immediate and it was complete. Every time Jesus does a work, it's, it's immediate or very quick and it's completely done. He doesn't have to anything. And it was like nothing happened, you know. And I love her response is to get up and serve. How amazing is that? That should be our response to the healing work of Jesus in our hearts and our lives. It should be to serve him and to dedicate our lives to him because we were dead and now we are alive in Christ. That should be our response to Jesus' work in our lives. And when he heals, he heals quickly and all the way, contrary to many so-called faith healers of today who have classes such as Bethel Church and places like that to, to maintain your healing. You notice Jesus didn't say, now that I've healed you, make sure that you go to these classes every week so that you can keep that healing. Make sure that your faith continues to increase and that you can maintain this. That's lies from the pit of hell. I hate to say it, but like that is, don't believe any of that stuff. God doesn't, you know, his healing, yes, we need to be faithful, but if we have faith of a mustard seed is what God asks for. We need to believe with that. So if you're not healed, it's not normally because your faith is not there. We need to make sure that we do have faith in God, but sometimes God's will is that we're not healed at the time. Sometimes it is. We'll talk about that more here in a moment. So Luke's choice of this word rebuke here has led some to have an incomplete and maybe even erroneous theology. This is the only time where Luke uses that word rebuke directed at the illness itself instead of directed to the person as far as asking them. So uh, that's according to Robert Stein. That's the only time that we see this at the disease rather than the person. And this word rebuke has, has led some to falsely believe that every illness, every sickness is directly demonic in nature and to kind of hyper-spiritualize every cold, every illness, every cancer, everything like that that is all directly demonic, demonic-related. And I, I just want us to kind of go through just a quick theo- theology of, of sickness and illness and why it is caused or allowed. So number one, it is caused or allowed due to the fall, the fall of man, so genetic mutation is general curse in the word, world and the body. So although sickness and disease are a result of the fall, we don't necessarily see demonic work in everything individually. Some of it's just a result of the sin of the world. We see that the earth groans in Romans 8, 22, that, that it has been subjected to our sin. And so we see earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. We see the world just groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. It may just be some things are just a, a general sin of the world. And it, sometimes it's a, you know, part of just the judgment on sin as well. Overall, Genesis 6, 3, we see, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh and his days shall be 120 years. So there is a limit on our life by God as a judgment on sin in general. All of this points to the broad effects of sin on mankind. It's not necessarily always individual and we must hesitate that sometimes, um, well, th- that it's not necessarily because one person is more sinful than another that bad things happen. Let's, let's look at Luke 13, 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? That's Jesus' rhetorical question, meaning no. No, it wasn't that they were worse, the result of sin of the world. They, they, they have been affected by that. Uh, there weren't towers that fell and killed people before the fall. Everything was perfect. Death did not exist. And for many of us who are 
afflicted by disease or suffering or trials, it's not necessarily because we are a worse sinner than someone else. Yes, we all are sinners, but it's not necessarily because of that. And we should hesitate to never ever judge others who suffer loss and look at them and say, well, they're a worse sinner. That's why that happened to them. They deserve that. That was what was coming to them. May we not ever be a people that does that. It's not, it's not up to us to, to know that. Occasionally, even not certainly always, these afflictions can be actually driven by evil forces. Sometimes that is the case. Number two, sickness and illness is caused or allowed as a result of judgment. So although much of sickness and illness that we see today are usually the, the result of the fall overall, occasionally demonic in nature as well, we see God in one such instance here in Second Chronicles 2.18 judge uh, an unbeliever, a bad king, an evil king, the king Jehoram, who had killed all of his brothers and ruled in a very evil way. And God does this. And after all of this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. We see that he ends up dying from this. So we see that God also sends boils to the Egyptians. We see plagues given to the Egyptians in judgment. So, so we know that God does sometimes send judgment upon people who are unbelievers. We who are believers, God does not send judgment on us. We are, Christ has taken our punishment on the cross, so it is not judgment, but sometimes he allows us to be disciplined, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, and allows some things to give us trials in order to help us to grow. Number three, sickness and illness is caused or allowed to show God's glory. So we also see that some sickness is even sent by God to show his glory. We see this with Moses in Exodus 4, 6 through 7. And the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak. When he pulled it out, behold, his hand was, was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So we know today that the leprosy is caused by a bacteria. That, that, that a bacteria actually causes leprosy. We have a cure for it, praise the Lord, today. But this is another example of God allowing illness and even sending it here to show his glory in healing Moses' hand right there. We see it in John 9, 1 through 3. And he passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see the, the bad theology that they had back then? And so many have that theology today. That's why I say to hesitate on judging someone based on, oh, it's because they're so bad. That's why they're going through these trials. Uh, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's the, the demonic forces are attacking them, uh, uh, different things like that. But Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents. Not that he's saying they didn't sin. They did, but it's not because of that. But that the works, work, works of God might be displayed in him. And he went, and what did he do? He, he healed that blind man. Other afflictions are sent by God and are allowed by God to show his glory. And sometimes it doesn't show, out, show up as, as beautiful as this account. Women like Johnny Erickson Tata, who had a diving accident at 17 and became a quadriplegic. And she's been in a wheelchair ever since. She's prayed for healing her whole life. She's in her 70s now. She's glorified God so greatly. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look her up, she's just, just a wonderful inspiration. But God has been super glorified by not healing her. And that is so tough. And she knows one day she's going to get a new body, and she's going to be able to run. She's going to be back, actually even a lot better than she was at 17 before this accident. But God has shown has been shown tremendous glory by her perseverance and godliness despite her affliction. So sometimes that's the answer, and that's a tough one. That's a really tough one for any of us. And finally, sickness and illness is caused or allowed to help us grow. 
our struggles in this life point us to our maker. When we realize how, how tough this life is, that we cannot do it on our own, we're reminded of how much we need our Savior, our Heavenly Father. When everything is going great, I don't know about you all, but I know for me, when everything is going great, it's easy to kind of fall into this, you do your habitual Bible study, do these things, but your prayers are a little bit more forced. They're not near as intimate. There's different times where you, you don't thank God for what you should thank God for, and it's easy to fall into this just kind of laissez-faire, lazy Christianity. But when we struggle, we know that it points to the, to the one who is good, because Christ is the greatest good that we could ever have. He uses our struggles to bring us closer to him. In Romans 8, 28, we see that, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according, who are called according to his purpose. So in conclusion to this topic, I know this is a, a broad topic. There's a lot there. We could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. But I think the, the main thing we need to know when we look at sickness and why God allows this high fever here, why God allows different sickness and illness, or why he allows all of this, we, sh- we need to know that we can trust our Savior. That's the most important thing for us to take from this. We should examine our hearts always to make sure we have a clean conscience and that there's no grievous way in us. Absolutely. We need to repent of our sins, make sure that we are right with God, uh, that nothing is a result of discipline. We know there's not going to be judgment because Christ has taken our judgment on the cross if we're in him. But we must accept that in most cases of suffering, we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know if he's going to heal us or if he's not. We don't know any of that. But what we do know is that we need to remain faithful and trust our Savior. And we need to rest in his love and sustaining grace in our lives because ultimately you can trust God. You can trust God. I know after seeing the things that go on in our world, sometimes it becomes tough to trust God. You're like, well, how can, I, can I really trust him with this? What if he allows this? He might. He might allow that, that bad thing that you're thinking about. But you can still trust him because he's going to use whatever, it ha- whatever happens. Look at the story of Joseph, the account of Joseph we talked about before. All the bad things, but yet he turned it for good and saved tons of people through that account. We know that the Lord is faithful, and ultimately we know that we can trust the Lord. He is at work on our behalf. Finally, number three, Jesus has power and authority over darkness. Go ahead and read over darkness, uh, Luke 4, 40 through 41. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, and, also, and demons also came out of him, out of many, crying, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. I love this passage ends with the sun setting. So it's, it's getting to be night, the darkness is falling, and what is Jesus doing? He's exerting his power and authority in the midst of a dark world. Not only is there physical darkness, which we know in Luke twenty two fifty three that Jesus says this, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Right? We see this practically today as we consider nightclubs, when we look at immorality, when we look at crime. When does it usually happen? 
uh, under the cover of, of darkness. They think that they can't be seen. It's when evil is at its peak. But yet Christ has authority in the midst of the darkness. Physically and spiritually, he has authority. His light shines in the midst of the darkness and overwhelms it. Praise God for that. The darkness sees that he is the light, and we see demon after demon cry out with the words, You are the Son of God. How amazing is that? Darkness has no authority over Christ. And moving forward to the last couple of verses, last three here, and 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. And his ministry continues on, and he's, a sh he's shining light in the dark places, not just one, but he continues preaching the good news of the kingdom of God throughout the area. May we do the same, my friends. May we continue to proclaim the Great Commission. So in conclusion, so today we've seen Christ exert his power and authority over demons, over debility and sickness, illness, and over darkness. And I pray that as we look out, it's a beautiful day today, but we know that despite the, the beauty of of the outside. We know that we live in a dark world still. We know that there is still struggling. There's suffering. There's pain. There's working, uh, workings of d demons and Satan. There's, there's evil people throughout our world. But despite that, Jesus has all power and all authority. As we see the sun shine, may we know how, how, how that breaks all the darkness outside. You know, I love that sunrise. You know, you see it's pitch black and all of a sudden the sun starts to rise and the darkness is dispelled. Well, that is Christ for our lives, and we know that we can trust him because he is loving, he is good, he's holy and righteous, and even when we don't understand the why, may we always understand and trust the who. Again, may, may we always understand and trust the who, namely Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how great that you are, how good that you are. May you be glorified through us, Lord. May we bring light as well to places that we go. When we walk into the darkness and dark places, may you shine through us as you live in our hearts, as you live in our lives. We are, we, we are the temple of God we see in the scriptures. How, how beautiful is that? Your Holy Spirit indwells us who are believers to help us to go out and be light, shining in a dark world. May you continue to use us to share the gospel with others around us. And may we proclaim your authority and power in a world that refuses to submit to it. God, we love you, praise you, and thank you, and help us to go throughout this week glorifying you, and amen. Have a blessed week.